All right. Well, the Lord has blessed us with some really beautiful days. These cold, uh, clear days. Great for running. Great for driving and seeing. And um, just a reminder of the Lord's blessing and goodness and beauty that He surrounded us with. Okay. Welcome. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Father, uh, we're, we ask that you would bless us today um, as your people, and we know that the greatest blessing is yourself. And so we pray that you'd bless us with knowing you, knowing you more, knowing more of your grace, more of your power, more of your presence uh, in our lives. We pray uh, this morning that you would teach us to pray, and uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, discipleship is uh, what we're doing basically for this school year on um, for the, the Sunday school hour and also for our midweek study. So we're covering a, a number of things, practical things, and the way that they're grouped together is these are the responsibilities of the Christian life. The Christian life has a number of responsibilities and golden privileges as well. Um, uh, and so um, what we're working on and paying special attention to is um, growing in these responsibilities and also helping each other to grow in these responsibilities. And so we're trying to put that into practice. And um, the responsibility that we want to look at this morning is prayer. And uh, prayer is a really important part of discipleship. In fact, um, prayer in some ways, I think, covers the whole of discipleship. Um, of all the responsibilities in the, in the Christian life. And I, I was struck by this passage. I'm going to turn to it first. Um, Psalm 109 verse four. And I think this is one of the, one of those, um, Psalms praying for judgment against somebody that my dad did, uh, for Thanksgiving, one of them. I don't think he did this one, but, um, I was struck by this, uh, Psalm 109 verse four. It talks about being, um, in trouble, um, with evildoers. Psalm 109, verse 4. In return for my love, they act as my accusers, but I am in prayer. And um, the my uh, translation is is very careful to um, put words that are not there in italics to let you know. And the word in is not there. What it, what it literally says is, but I am prayer. <laughs> so I'm in trouble. People are against me. and I am, But I, for my part, I am prayer. Kind of doesn't make sense, and so that's why my the translation puts uh, I am in prayer. Okay, well that makes that's smoother uh, to read, but I like it. It's poetic, you know, and I like it kind of more jarring. I am prayer, and um, I think that's true for the life of discipleship as well. You are what you are in prayer. Your discipleship, the way you're do how you're doing, and your responsibilities for the Lord is reflected in the whole life of prayer. It's who you are, is your prayer life. And so um, if you hear nothing else uh, this morning, I, I think that might be the, the best thing, and I'll come back to it a little bit as well, um, to hear, to take away from this, is that uh, you are who you are in prayer before the Lord, or you're doing in all the responsibilities of discipleship the same way that you're doing in prayer. The, that uh, reflects it. And so uh, I, I like that uh, saying that the, and the, the way that it's uh, put uh, in that verse We'll make that the theme verse for, for this morning's message, and I'll, I'll come back to it, I hope, a few times. Okay, let me ask this question. Um, does prayer change things? Does prayer change things? Does prayer change your circumstances? Are things around you different because you prayed or because you didn't pray? What do you think? So it's a question for you, not just a rhetorical question. Anybody want to tackle this one? Yes and no, Bill says. That's a pretty good answer. Uh, yes, I heard a yes, too. That's a guy like that answer, too. What? Changes you. Okay. Changes you, not necessarily. What's that? Okay. Okay. I think there's a sense in, in which that is true. Um, anybody else want to touch that one? Um, yes and no, Bill said, um, you know, the Lord knows the end from the beginning and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so, um, it's fixed 
uh, beforehand. But I, I think um, one way you could put it, if you want to go along that line, is the Lord plans the means as well as the ends. He's got all the ends, but the means he plans as well, which is our prayers. And um, he's joined our prayers with uh, the ends um, but I, I, I think uh, for us, and I think uh, for our responsibilities, and even according to what the Bible uh, says, I, I think the answer is yes. Prayer does change things. Certainly from our perspective, prayer changed things. And that's reflected in Scripture. Uh, James chapter 5 and verse uh, 17, or 16, says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, and the word that's used there for accomplish um, is is strong. The effective prayer of a, a righteous man is strong, um, very much so. Um, James 4, 1 and 2. I'll, I'll just do, well, I'll do 1 and 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay, so um, I think that's pretty clear. You do not have because you do not ask. That's what he tells those in Egypt. Okay, so if you did ask, you would have, right? So it changes things. It changes things. Um and uh, like Betty says, it changes your attitude. But I think even more than that, it changes things outward um, um, around you as well. You do not have because you do not ask or, or you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's another way of, of uh, doing that. But I think that's pretty clear. Um, you do not have because you do not ask. If you would have asked, you would have. Okay, so it, it actually, your prayer actually changes things. Um, Exodus chapter 32, 9 through 14. And this is the, that great um, passage where Moses prays. Because um, the, remember the people worship the golden calf and the Lord says, well, I'm just going to wipe them out. And I'll, I'll make a new nation out of you, Moses, and I'll, I'll keep my promises that way. Um, and Moses prays. And then the Lord, well, I'll, I'll just read it from Scripture. Uh, Exodus 32, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the faiths of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind. That's a pretty bold prayer, don't you think? <laughs> After the Lord told Moses what he's going to do, change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself. And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land of which I have spoken. I will give it to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. And why did he do that? Because Moses prayed. Because Moses prayed. Uh, the Lord uh, changed his mind. Now, um, that the Lord changing his mind here in scripture is what's called an anthropomorphism. That's a big word that uh, I, I guess Bible students and uh, theologians use, and it's a useful um, word. It means God speaking of himself in the form of man. Anthropomorph anthropos is man and morph is form. So he's speaking of himself um, in the form of a man, um, changing his mind. And so sometimes it's said, well, okay, it's an anthropomorphism. And actually, God didn't change his mind. He always intended to do that. He always intended to spare the people of uh, Israel. And uh, there's a truth to that. That's why it's, it's God speaking of himself in the form of uh, man. But if what you get, if all you get out of that is that God doesn't change his mind, you've really missed the point in a, in a really important way. You've missed the point in an important way. Um, and I'm, I'm reminded, I'll use this analogy of uh, a master and a dog playing fetch. And uh, so the master throws the stick, 
and the dog uh, brings brings uh, the stick back. On one level, it's true. The master doesn't need sticks at all. Okay, there has no need for it um, at all. But and so the dog can say that. In fact, the dog maybe could have some sense of that. That that's true, and say, well, I'm I'm not going to bring this stick to the master. He has no need uh, uh, for it. The point is, the master is building a relationship with the dog. The point is, the master is relating to the dog on the level of the dog. And uh, so I think this, and, and the master is giving that to the dog to, to relate to him in, in a way that he, he wants it, uh, not because he needs it, but because he's, he's stooping down to the level of the dog. And I think that's the same uh, for us. God is um, giving us the impression, so to speak, that he needs us to pray in order to uh, change his mind um, at the level that God exists. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. But uh, at the level of him building a relationship uh, with us, we have to take that seriously, what he's giving us. That's what um, he's giving us. And to despise that, like a dog who would see his master throwing a stick and say, well, I, I know he doesn't need that, so I'm, I'm just going to despise what he's doing. Um, to despise that is to despise what he's giving you and to have no relationship with him at all. It's actually some of the wisdom about God that God has made foolish so that he could reveal himself in a, in a way that man thinks is um, foolish and confounds uh, the wisdom of uh, the wise. And so God is giving us this um, in prayer. And uh, because of that, I think it's important that prayer is more than just sort of a self-centering technique. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes you'll hear these um, studies um, that are done that prove that prayer increases wellness, you know, like a medical study. And I'm sure it's a clinical study with a double blind test or whatever, you know, people who pray and people who don't pray and their health and all these things. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's, there's value just to taking some quiet time away with your thoughts, rehearsing your thoughts in order, rehearsing your problems and difficulties in order, maybe even depending upon a higher power, it would lower your blood pressure, it would focus your mind, it would calm your nerves, maybe it would steal your resolve um, to do things um, as well. Um, prayer is more than that. Prayer doesn't just isn't just a way of, um, of changing ourselves or of centering um, ourselves. Prayer is actually asking God to do something, asking God even to... Um, uh, change his mind, uh, so to speak, at least from our perspective, uh, on uh, something. So um, we should pray expecting our prayers to change things, expecting if we don't ask, we will not have. If we do ask, we will have, and it will actually change. And if we believe that, we would actually pray uh, more. Um, one of the things that we do at church is a um, baby dedications, and that's not we're not commanded to do that. Uh, by scripture, but I think we're free to do it, and it's a great thing to pray for. Um, and uh, some have said, and I think there's an element of truth in this, but so I don't want to use this illustration and come down too hard. But um, some have said, well, it's it's actually a parent dedication because the the parents are dedicating themselves to being good uh, parents, and uh, that's fine. That's fine, and I want to include that. You know, when I pray for the child, that's really important, actually. The parents need prayer um, for that. Um, but it's more than just the parents committing themselves in front of the congregation and, and asking for a prayer. Um, we're asking God to do something that only he can do. And so I, I think, if I'll put it this way, to me, the main purpose of uh, a baby dedication is actually to pray for the salvation of the child, to for the whole church to gather and to pray for something that only God can do and to expect the prayer to change things in a way. Expect God to answer our prayer um, together as uh, a church. So I hope that illustration isn't too misunderstood. I won't be too offended if you if you say it's really a parent dedication. And I, I think that's really important to pray for. The parents need uh, prayer uh, for the for the child. But it's more than sort of committing yourself uh, in public. It's actually acting God to move. Acting asking God to. Um, to do something that he wouldn't have done if we wouldn't have asked him uh, to do and to change uh, the situation um, outwardly. Um, prayer is, prayer changes things. 
I can put it that way. I know, I know there's a yes and no to it, but I, I think that's that's the, what we should, um, the attitude that takes God seriously in what he's given us in prayer. Um, prayer is commanded. Prayer is commanded. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. So if you're in the day of trouble and you're not praying, you're disobedient to scripture because it's actually commanded. Call upon me in the day of trouble and there's no trouble too deep. There's no trouble you can get into where this command doesn't apply to you, where you're not commanded to pray. Call upon me in the day of trouble. There's a there's a um, promise attached to it too. I will rescue you. I will rescue you. And it's for his glory. It's for his glory that he wants us to pray to him in the day of trouble. So uh, there's a command in scripture to pray in the day of trouble. If anything, um, in the New Testament, it's heightened. It's heightened. And so there's a a wonderful passage. I'll I'll read it. You know it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we have this wonderful reality that we have a high priest in heaven who sympathizes with us when we're weak, when we're in trouble, even when we sin. His heart goes out to us. He sympathizes um, with us. And uh, the author of Hebrews wants us to know that why does he want us to know that? Probably a lot of reasons, but the reason here is so that we'll pray, so that we'll we'll feel um, we'll never feel ashamed to come and pray. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, with boldness, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the day of distress that uh, he's it's talking about in the Psalms uh, as well. Call upon me in the day of uh, trouble. So prayer is um, commanded. And that is an encouragement uh, for us uh, to pray. God is eager to hear our prayers. God is eager to hear our prayers. And uh, one uh, passage of scripture that I, I really like on that, Psalm 38 and verse 9. Psalm 38 and verse 9. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. And I love the way that's uh, put, my sighing, because it's not really a prayer. It's, it's, it kind of comes short of a prayer. Prayer is articulate. A prayer is, is asking God for something or, or crying out to him in words. But here, this is kind of a, it's not really a prayer. It's just sort of a sigh in God's direction. It's a sighing and God hears it. God honors it. That's how eager he is to hear prayers of his people and to change things because of the prayers of his people. And so that should be an encouragement to us uh, to pray. All my sighing is not hidden from you. And it reminds me of a great passage, another passage I really like, um, Exodus chapter 2. This is kind of a turning point in the Exodus story. Um, and verse 23, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed. Because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice uh, of them. And uh, what I like about it, this uh, passage is it's, it's kind of unclear whether it's really a prayer or whether it's just kind of a cry in bondage as they're suffering uh, that's maybe directed somewhat uh, towards God, and God hears it. And he honors it. And he acts in the the most uh, dramatic and miraculous way that's uh, in the Old Testament to deliver them uh, out of that. And that's a model for how the Lord hears our prayers, too. And so when you pray, God responds. In fact, when you just almost just begin to pray, God is ready to respond. And I think that should be a huge encouragement uh, for us to pray. Um, one, one way that that makes sense is um, what it says about the Holy Spirit helping us. Romans chapter 8 And verse uh, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so when we give a prayer that's really imperfect, we don't know how to pray. 
and we're too weak to pray, or maybe it's just the sigh, which is a really imperfect form uh, of uh, prayer. If we belong to Christ, then the Spirit himself inter- starts praying too with a with a perfect prayer and with the prayer uh intercedes with us with groanings that are too deep uh for words and so then maybe that's the reason the lord hears our sighs uh when we pray or hears very imperfect prayers and starts to act uh for us is because now the spirit is praying um along with us and so again I, i'm pointing these out just as an invitation if god hears a sigh how much more a, a prayer with words in it you know uh to offer to the lord in prayer and so we should be uh, praying to the lord um all the time um, scripture tells us to pray in the spirit, Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. And I was going to tackle that for a moment. Ephesians chapter six, verse um, 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, in the spirit capitalized in my translation in the Holy Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Um, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? We're told to pray in the Spirit, to endeavor to pray um, in the Spirit. Um, and I think praying in the Spirit means just simply praying while you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be filled. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with um, the Holy Spirit. Um, it means to be aware of the Holy Spirit's uh, presence in us. It means to be open yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit. It, it probably means to focus your attention on Christ. In fact, it says, um, as a parallel passage in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So it would be thinking of uh, Christ's words, letting them dwell in you. And um, to be filled with um, the Holy Spirit, a Christian is always indwelt. By the Holy Spirit, because uh, Christ said, I'm going to send a comforter and he's going to remain with you forever. He's never going to leave you. So a Christian is always indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but not always filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be filled. And so a Christian is sometimes filled with the Holy Spirit, should be growing in being filled with the Holy I hope you're growing in being filled with the Holy Spirit more um, more often uh, than you have have been before and be walking with uh, the Holy Spirit. But a, a Christian at times is not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the command is is needed, you know, to be really open to the influence consciously of um, the Holy Spirit. So to pray in the Spirit, and that's what we're commanded to do, is to um, pray while you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're doing both. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are praying. And there's other things that we're um, to do while we're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, we're to rejoice in the Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 21, I think it means the same thing, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be rejoicing. Um, scripture talks about uh, Paul deciding something in the Spirit. And so he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he makes a decision. Um, he's deciding in the, in the Holy Spirit. Um, you can bear, uh, your conscience can bear testimony while you're in the Spirit. That's Romans chapter 9, verse uh, 1. You can love in the Spirit. And I think that's all the same thing. And you can pray in the spirit. Colossians 1 verse 8 is to love um, in uh, in the spirit. So um, somebody asked me a, a difficult question last time about um, um, praying in the spirit and asked, is it possible for a Christian to pray not in the spirit? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think the answer to that is yes. It's, it's uh, possible for a Christian to not be in the spirit and which is not good and to pray in that way maybe that would be one of those sides you know one of those imperfect um prayers so yes i think it's possible for a christian to we're told to pray in the spirit i think it's possible for a christian to pray while they're not filled with the spirit where they should be filled with the spirit and they're not and they're praying probably if they do that they're on their way to being filled with the holy spirit you know because the spirit starts praying the lord starts answering and you're on your way to being filled um, with uh, the Holy Spirit. So uh, difficult question. Um, I think it is possible for a Christian to not pray in the Holy Spirit. We should endeavor to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be praying. The Lord hears all our prayers. The Lord hears even our sighs. And so when you maybe when you start to pray, that'd be a, a, a way to start being in the Spirit. So uh, that's my way of answering that question after thinking about it for a week. Uh, so...
Um, okay, so we're to pray in the spirit. Um, we're to pray in the in Jesus name, in Jesus name. John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so I think that's um, good for us when we pray to to say, in Jesus' name, amen. And I don't think you have to say that every time, but you should be thinking it. It should be at the foundation of uh, your prayers, or at least the idea of that should uh, permeate your prayers. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're praying not on your own authority, but in Jesus' authority. It means you're praying not by your own deserving, but in Jesus' deserving. It means you're praying not based on your own reputation before God, but in Christ's reputation. And it's in his uh, name. So uh, Peter and John, um, when they um, heal someone at the at the uh, gate in uh, the temple, uh, they say, uh, I'm healing you in Jesus' name. What, what do they say exactly? Acts chapter 3. Um and verse uh, six, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I've give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And then the, the authorities um, um, came to them. They uh, they were in trouble for this and they wanted to know by what name do you do this? What, what Peter was saying uh, when he says that he's making clear that he's acting in Jesus authority and not his own. It's not, it's not my authority by which I'm telling you to rise up and walk this crippled man. But he's saying it's it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. Um Paul also, in the context of um, church discipline, says he's acting in the name of Jesus. In other words, he's not acting in his own authority as uh, Paul and the authority that that he has inherently in him based on the force of his personality or something like that. Um, but he's acting in Jesus' name. And I'll read that, what he says exactly to 1 Corinthians 5 and verse uh, 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so he's talking about excluding someone who's who's uh, stubbornly persisting um, in sin and uh, excluding them, not just on his own authority, but with the authority of Christ uh, himself and acting uh, him. And he's authorized to do that as um, an apostle. And um, so it's the same when we pray. We're not praying in our own name, but we're praying in the name of another and and asking for these things in the authority of a number, our sympathetic high priest, which is um, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what it means to pray um, in the name of Jesus. I think it also means to pray consistent with his character, to pray in his name. It's not just a blank check. So you write <laughs> somebody's name is on there and you just write whatever you want. And it's like a genie and you can have whatever uh, it is. Uh, it talks about if we ask for anything in his name, that's the one I read in John chapter 14 and uh, verse 13, um, he will give it if it's according to his name. That means if, if it's if what we're requesting is consistent with his um, character, um, whatever you ask in my name, consistent with what who I am. Uh, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I think, I think that aspect of praying in Jesus' name um, blends pretty much with praying according to his will. Praying according to his will. And that's another um, thing that's said about prayer. First uh, John 5.14 This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Or John chapter um, 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Um, and so th this is um, uh, praying according to his will. How do you pray according to God's will? How do you ask for things that are according to God's will? Well, I think there's a couple a couple things to think about when you think of praying for things that are according to God's will. And that's how we're to pray. That's how our prayers are answered, is, is if they're according to God's uh, will. 
One way to pray according to God's will is if you have a promise from God, from his word. And you pray for that promise to come true. So um, the Lord says he's going to forgive the sins of all who come to him. Or um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So uh, you have a promise. And so you ask the Lord to do what he promised. And you know you're praying according to his will. Um, you might say, well, uh, if you have a promise, why bother to pray for it? Well, you're to pray for what's uh, promised. There's a number of examples uh, of that in scripture. One real striking one is uh, Elijah. Um, when, uh, you know, and, and he's the example of the uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It talks about how the rain was withheld at Elijah's prayer and then rain came with Elijah's prayer. And the way it came is the Lord told Elijah, I'm going to send rain really clearly. He promised I'm going to send rain right now or, or in the, in the near future. Here. So what does Elijah do? Okay, good. You're going to send rain. No. He gets on his knees. He prays. And he asks the servant to go check the horizon to see if there's any clouds on the horizon. The servant comes back. No, there's, it's a drought still. No sign of rain. Prays again fervently. Even though the Lord has promised it, sends the servant. Um, prays seven times. And the seventh time, remember, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, get ready, let's go. It's, and there's a huge uh, downpour uh, that comes that Elijah's caught in. And Ahab is caught in as they run to the uh, next city. So um, we're to, we are to pray for things that God has promised. John Calvin says something like, every promise that the Lord gives us is dug up in prayer. And he says it a lot more flowery or eloquently than uh, that. But uh, he, that's right. And uh, he's strong on that. So to pray uh, according to God's will is to pray for things that he's promised. And God's please when we do that. And so for me, when I read things like, um, like for example, in Psalm 51, David's saying, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, and then, you know, you can say, well, I'm a New Testament believer. I've already got a promise that uh, the Holy Spirit is never going to leave. The Holy Spirit was with you, but he's going to be in you forever. And he's never going to leave you. That's the New Testament uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not like in the Old Testament where Saul had the Holy Spirit removed, and that's what David's praying about. Take not your Holy Spirit uh, from me. But I think I, I can pray that, and I do pray that, and I think I should pray that. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, even though I have a promise. You're asking God to do what he's promised, and uh, in that you're praying according to his will. He wants us to pray according to his will, and Bible knowledge helps. You need to know your Bible if you're going to pray according to um, his will. That's uh, also to pray in the spirit is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So it should be, you know, you're walking in the spirit, you're filled with the spirit. It means scriptures are coming to your mind and you're um, aware of the Holy Spirit's um, presence. So that's one way of praying in this, uh, praying for the Lord's will. I think there's another import, really important way of praying according to the will of the Lord. And that is when you're praying for something and you don't know whether it's the Lord's will or not. And that's a huge aspect of our um, prayer life. And it's, it's something that the Lord really cares about. So I think we're to struggle when we're praying for those things to pray according to God's will. And uh, what I mean for that, and I think the Lord gives a lot of leeway. You know, our prayer changes things. So you're praying for something and Lord, Lord, I think this could be your will. And I'm praying for it. That makes it more likely that it's going to be your will. And then I think even to give arguments with God. And that might sound um, irreverent. We're certainly, not, I'm not for praying irreverently at all, but actually I think to argue with God, and I'll use that word that strongly, is, is really to take seriously what he's given us in prayer, to, to take seriously and not try to be um, too, too high for what he's actually given us um, in prayer. That's what Moses did. Remember, we just read that uh, passage. Moses argued with the Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, Destroy this stubborn people, and I'm going to make um, I'm going to I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Moses asked him not to do that, and then argued why that doesn't fit his will. Argued with uh, God, and he gave a, a couple of um, arguments. One is he said, "You've made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob um, that you must fulfill." 
Um, and so he's arguing with the Lord. The Lord could have kept, I think, most of his promises by starting over and making a great nation out of Moses, except that he promised blessing for all 12 tribes. Remember, Moses is from the tribe of Levi, but he promised blessing for all the tribes. And so Moses reminds him, you know, you made a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Israel. And then uh, he argues, too, he says, uh, your name is going to be um, uh, despised among the Egyptians. They're going to say he just brought them out into the wilderness. And so he, he brings arguments uh, to the Lord to, to show why it is um, the Lord's will. And so um, I think the Lord wants us, he's pleased when we grapple with him in that way and, and present it to him. Lord, I think this is your will. And here's reasons why that I've thought of. And I think this is a, a, a reason you have to know Bible knowledge, maybe even better to pray this way because you're, you're drawing from all kinds of scriptures and trying to bring them together and principles. You don't have a scripture that, that guarantees that this is uh, God's will. And so you're, you're trying to do these things. And I think the Lord is honored when we wrestle with him uh, in prayer in that way, like Jacob did. I will not let you go until you bless me. And he's wrestling with uh, the Lord. That's a um, model for Epaphras, Colossians chapter four, verse 12. Paul wants the Colossians to know that uh, Epaphras agonizes with uh, the Lord in prayer for them. And so um, this is, prayer is not something automatic, it's something to engage with and to engage with in that um, level. Um, it's possible to pray for something that is not God's will. And he's honored by that, if you do it in that spirit. And if you even bring arguments why why you think that what you're praying for um, would be God's will and would redound for God's glory and even more because you're asking for it, um, and because you've thought of a way in which it, didn't, it turns out not to be God's will, he's still honored by that prayer. He's still honored by you grappling with him in that way. And I think when you don't have a promise, then you pray like Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not not my will, but thy will be done, ultimately. Here's here's what I think I'm asking for and why I think it, it, it uh, is, is probably according to your will, Lord. But if it's not your will, I actually don't want it. I don't want my ideas. I want I want uh, what you have, not my will, but thy will be done. So um, many of the saints prayed for things that actually turned out not to be the Lord's will. He's still honored by the prayer. Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not thy will, but my will. Uh, not my will, but thy will be done. Paul prayed for um, something that actually wasn't the Lord's will. Prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. Prayed three times, and the Lord taught him through that. That uh, and so that would be an example of prayer that doesn't change things, but it changes you. Um, in the in that instance, David prayed. Remember the the child uh, that he prayed for, and he prayed that the child would not die. He prayed fervently that the child would not die, and the child died. And uh, the Lord was honored by that prayer, even though David was not praying uh, according to the Lord's will. And he's probably arguing with the Lord, explaining to the Lord, presenting to the Lord why it could be uh, God's will and uh, God chose not uh, to answer that. And so if you're praying for something that isn't God's will, you're arguing with God for reasons why uh, it might be God's will and it turns out uh, no, God will either refuse it, like the thing you're praying for just doesn't come to pass, like like David, uh, the child died, um, and uh, if he does that, he's giving you something better. And uh, um, Or the Lord will change your desire, maybe through the experience of praying, so that you don't desire that anymore. Um, or uh, the Lord maybe will make it obvious to you in some way that that's not his will and it cause you to stop praying. That seems to be what he did for Paul with a thorn in the flesh. Or the Lord will give it to you after a long time uh, of praying to him. And so we're to pray um, persistently. Um, in that way, um, that's that's true of Abraham, for example. Um, you know, they waited a long time, and just because the time passed didn't mean that the Lord wasn't going to give that uh, to them. So sometimes the Lord wants us to pray uh, and keep on uh, praying um, in that way. Okay, um, other aspects of uh, prayer. There's a whole bunch of them. We're to pray in faith. We're to pray in faith. Um, Mark chapter 11. Verse 
Therefore, I say to you, all things which for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And then James chapter one. Which says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So we're to pray, you know, you pray for wisdom. That's the example given in James. And you pray believing that the Lord is is going to give it to you. So you're, you're come to a situation you can't figure out and you need um, wisdom for it. And you ask the Lord for wisdom. You don't have it yet, but you're believing that uh, when you when you seek in the scriptures, when you try to get some counsel on it, when you get a, a night's sleep, a couple nights sleep, the Lord's going to give you. He's, and you're, you're trusting that he's going to answer that prayer. Uh, because he's uh, promised to give it to you. And so you're to pray in faith. Certainly when you're praying according to his will, like asking for wisdom, you know you're praying um, according to his will because he promises he's going to uh, uh, give you um, wisdom if you ask for it. Um, and then even if you're praying and you don't know if it's God's will or not, you're trying, you're trying to pray according to God's will. You're trying to think of how it could be according to God's will. You pray in faith, not necessarily that you'll get that exactly what you're praying for because you're going to say at the end, not my will. Uh, but thine be done. But you're praying in faith that the Lord is going to use your prayer to give you something, to maybe something better than what you're praying for, maybe what the Holy Spirit is praying for you when you don't know how to pray. But um, you're praying in faith that the prayer is going to be answered and uh, that the Lord is going to act in response to um, in, in response to your prayer. One of the books that I've read, and I, I kind of read it, um, it's kind of a New Testament background because it's written in Greek, but uh, it's the Iliad, the old uh, Homer, I just in translation uh, reading it. But uh, the thing I'm struck with, it kind of blew me away, is just the forcefulness of the characters. Um, but um, they pray. One, one part is sort of a rebuke to me, um, and the other part is a really bad example. But they pray expecting an answer. You know, and so they pray to this pagan god, you know, Apollo or someone uh, like that. And uh, they're praying, you know, bring justice to me, to my enemies. And they're ex- they're obviously expecting that there's going to be an answer to it. And I, I read that. And I think, well, is that how I pray? You know, this is a prayer to a pagan uh, deity. But I, I should pray expecting, expectantly. The way, the way they pray that is a bad example, it's praying in your own name, is they always pray as an IOU. You know, if I've ever... Uh, presided over a pleasing sacrifice at one of your altars, then give me justice, you know, in front of my enemies, you know, and so it's always um, an IOU that they're presenting. And so that's a, a very bad, that's how the pagans uh, pray. And it demonstrates who they are before their idea, their false idea of God. It's always um, based on their own deserving. That's an example of praying in your own name rather than praying in Jesus name. You don't bother with any of that stuff about bargaining with God or uh, telling him why you're worthy of something. You just pray in the name of Christ uh, for that. But anyway, the point is uh, for that, they're praying in faith. They're praying in faith. And when I, when I first read that, it, was kind of a, it kind of stood out to me. Remember the story of um, the prayer meeting in Jerusalem when Peter was in prison. And they're all praying for Peter. That was a good thing to do. Uh, and then the angel comes and delivers Peter, and he's right at the door. And they send out uh, the servant girl, Rhoda, and uh, there's a degree of confusion because they can't kind of process that Peter is uh, actually standing at the door. The Lord has actually answered their prayer. And I, maybe that was a rebuke uh, to them that they should have been praying in faith. The Lord answered their imperfect prayer um, in an in a amazing way. And so that's an example also of the Holy Spirit praying with us in our weakness um, when we don't know how to pray. Um, we're to pray earnestly. The, the fervent prayer of a righteous man um, availeth much. And so we're not to pray kind of robotically or going through the motions, but we're to pray earnestly, fervently. That's the way the saints and the prophets prayed. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of pleading 
with uh, God. Oh God, hear my prayer. Forgive, act, look down upon your people. Uh, show grace that you know that you can sense the urgency uh, when they're praying. That's the way Christ Himself prayed. Um, as well, he prayed fervently. He talks about him doing that in um, Hebrews with 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 cries, um, uh, praying. We're to pray repeatedly. Lord Jesus also prayed repeatedly. He prayed all night. Um, in one of the accounts of the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he prayed three times using the same words. We're not to use vain repetition, but we're to pray um, repeatedly, like Elijah was an example of doing. Prayed seven times. Uh, for what the Lord had promised. Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take away um, the thorn in the flesh. That's the way we're invited to pray. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And all those verbs are continuous. You know, knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Ask and keep on um, asking. And so that's the way in which we're to um, know the Lord. Um, what are the elements of prayer? What, you, what should you pray for? What should, what should you include in your prayers? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Praise. Petitions. Confession. I think that might about cover it. Um, that's good. That's good. Yeah, those are those are the elements, and uh, th- those are the elements that the Lord taught us. In the Lord's Prayer, the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray. And uh, that's included in the Gospel accounts. John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, and the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray. Uh, maybe that shows how um, uh, important prayer is to the whole life of discipleship. He taught him a really simple prayer, and I think it just gave him the elements of prayer. So our Father, who is in heaven, praising him for who he is, who he is, um, uh, to us and thanksgiving in, in that um, uh, as well uh, to him for being our father uh, who is in heaven. So praise and, and uh, throughout scriptures, it talks about us making our request with thanksgiving. You know, it's, it's just repeatedly um, uh, that's to be part of our uh, prayers. Um, confession of sins. If we are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let's talk about what a Christian does, coming and uh, confessing sins um, to the Lord. Um, that's also in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So uh, confession is to be part of um, uh, your prayers to the Lord. And then petitions. And, and that's I think that's kind of of the essence of prayer is petition. So I think that's a really important um, prayer. You know, it's that's probably the most prevalent way that prayer is described as asking, you know, crying out to the Lord in time of trouble. Um, and so that's uh, maybe even one of the main parts of prayer. Um, they're all important. Certainly worship and praise is uh, important in it. So uh, you make prayers for daily bread, for protection against evil. Um, you pray for yourself. You pray for others. We're to pray for at all times, for all the saints. Um with all prayer and uh, perseverance at all times. Um, and so you're, you're praying for others. You're petitioning uh, the Lord to pray for others. And then um, prayer for the advance of the church. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So um, that's, that's a prayer for Christ's return, for his kingdom to come. But the, the thing that's happening now is um, the advance of the church. That's what's pushing that forward to accomplish that um, purpose. And so uh, we're to pray not just for things we want, but for the Lord's purposes, which is to glorify his name on the earth and uh, pray for the advance of uh, the church. Okay, I'll leave you with this. Um, and I just found this on the Internet, but I thought it was quite good. Um, eight ways prayers are hindered. And as I was reading through these, it reminded me of that verse again, Psalm 109, verse 4, I am prayer. I am in prayer. But uh, that uh, you're, you, you are who you are in prayer. Because these hindrances to prayer are hindrances to the whole life of discipleship. I mean, you could say the same thing uh, about all of these. So uh, hindrances to prayer. Number one, lack of love is a hindrance to prayer. Um, and we're to pray for all the saints at all times. If you're not walking in love, then you're not going to be, that's going to be a hindrance to your prayer, certainly for all of the saints. Two is pride 
and selfishness, opposite of prayer. Three is unbelief and doubt. It's the opposite of the, the spirit of prayer. Four is disobedience. Disobedience will keep you from prayer. Five is family discord and strife. And I'll read you the, a verse on that. First um, Peter three seven. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So strife uh, is something that hinders uh, prayer. Unforgiveness hinders prayer. Um, and the Lord taught his disciples to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Uh, Mark, let me read, Mark 11, verse 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father who's in heaven forgive your transgressions. So unforgiveness is a hindrance to prayer. That's part of, that's basically taught in the Lord's prayer, um, as well. Um, that forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So those are kind of a package deal. Uh, and so our unforgiveness is a great hindrance uh, to that prayer. So the Lord teaches that within the Lord's prayer. And then right after he teaches the Lord's prayer, that's the part of the prayer that he amplifies after he uh, teaches the Lord's prayer, the verses right afterwards. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. So unforgiveness is a hindrance to prayer. Lack of reconciliation is a hindrance to prayer. Matthew chapter 5, 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar in prayer, we don't have an altar, but we have prayer. That's, that's, and there's an altar in heaven. The prayers of the saints, uh, go as incense before the Lord. If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. And so we're to seek Reconciliation, lack of reconciliation. That one was uh, kind of one that I wouldn't have put, but it's it's certainly there in that uh, verse as a hindrance to prayer. And then finally, um, unconfessed sin um, is a hindrance to prayer. Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So that unconfessed sin is a hindrance to prayer. So eight ways prayers are hindered. Lack of love, pride and selfishness, unbelief and doubt, disobedience, family discord and strife, unforgiveness, lack of reconciliation, unconfessed sin. I hope you'll see that uh, the hindrances to prayer, basically all the hindrances to the whole life of discipleship. And again, that's I think prayer is kind of a, it's a it's a indication of our entire life. Uh, of discipleship, you are you are what you are in prayer. Your life of discipleship is what it is in the in the hour that you're praying uh, before the Lord. Okay, we are all out of time, so I will leave it there. I hope I hope this is just an encouragement to you to pray. That's kind of what all these um, characteristics of prayer are designed to do: is to um, to um, wet your appetite, so to speak, for prayer and to come before the Lord in prayer and to consider that uh, a most important part of the life of discipleship. All right, let's uh, bow before the Lord. Dear Father, we thank you for this great privilege, this great responsibility of prayer. Pray that you'd make us faithful in it. Pray that you make us eager in prayer towards you. We pray that we would know you through um, our prayers towards you and that we would, so to speak, change the things around us through prayer in the way that you've uh, set out, in the way that you've given uh, to us to do. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.